As you all know, I use Anchor FM to record all of my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. Anchor has all the tools that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And to top it off, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, y'all, it's completely free. Free 99. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Welcome back to Black and Blooming. I'm your host, Dahlia J. Don't forget to follow my show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified when I post new episodes. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Black and Blooming Pod. Again, that's Black and Blooming Pod. Um, today, I have a very special person with me, um, Shelby. Hello. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Introductions. Hi everyone. My name is Shelby Wilburn and I am a 30-year-old creator in Reno, Nevada. Um, I met Dahlia through Instagram. She reached out to me and I was like, yes, let's get coffee. And so yeah, my background is in marketing and advertising. I've worked in the industry for about 10 years now and I also do creative work. Um, I own a studio, Milan Studios, which is more of a hybrid creative production space and agency to help businesses create in-person and digital experiences and campaigns. So that's me. Oh, well, we love that. That was a nice little summary. One of the best introductions that we've heard thus far. Um, So I wanted to bring Shelby on the show today because... Um, she's actually technically my mentor, so I just really appreciate hearing her perspective on things because she's been in the workforce longer than I have, and we've had a lot of similar experiences, so I definitely just think that it's nice to kind of be like, what did you do when you were in this situation? Because (laughs) I'm struggling to figure it out. Um, but I did want to say, um... She's on here to talk about imposter syndrome because as someone who just graduated from college and is actually really entering like the real workforce, like in my career field, that's something that I struggle with a lot. Yeah. Um, And it can just be hard to try to combat other people's opinions because when you're on campus, you're kind of in this little bubble where like, you know, you have a lot of people who kind of agree with you, think in similar ways, but then once you get out to the actual workforce, absolutely, they're completely <laughs> different, and there's completely different ideas, and people will fight you on it very, very <laughs> passionately, might I add. So, um, yeah, that's what we're going to actually talk about today. Um, Did you want to promote any of your socials? Oh, yeah. Well, um, if you end up enjoying this conversation, I always love to connect with people. So my Instagram is at sincerely Shelby underscore. And I also am on LinkedIn. You can search me Shelby Wilburn. I am on TikTok. I don't really post on TikTok, but I'm just there. But if you want to connect, that's fine. Um, I'm also sincerely Shelby underscore there. And then I have a website, www.shelbywilburn.com, which shares more about my background and my portfolio of work. So okay. her <laughs> website looks awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I just say <laughs> thank that. you, love. 
Um, so I kind of want to just give a quick summary of what imposter syndrome is to those of you who may not know. So um, my source for this is Harvard Business Review because, yes. you know, we are into reliable sources around here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud, especially affects those who are high achieving, um, especially like women of color. As men progress in their careers, they often feel more confident and they're rarely questioned by others of their competence to do their jobs. Mm -hmm. But for women, the opposite occurs as they progress and move up in their roles. And like I said before, this definitely really affects women of color. Absolutely. Um, so kind of tell us a little bit about your professional journey. You know, like yeah. what did you originally want to do when you started, you know, when you graduated from college? How you kind of became like an influencer oh, a little bit. I consider what? you an influencer. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then kind of like what you currently do for work inside projects. I know you kind of briefly mentioned it, but just, yeah. you know, going a little bit more in depth. For sure. So I started school in 2010 and I majored in journalism. And originally the way our journalism program is structured, you take your core cl classes first. And then as I was moving up, I started to realize like, oh, I really haven't a knack and affinity for social media, advertising, and things of that nature, so I took the strategic communications track. Um, while I was in school, I did multiple internships. I interned for Reno Magazine. I interned for the Glenn Group and just different agencies around town. Um, I also went to New York City for a summer and interned for Battery Dance Festival and was their communications guide for that festival season. Um, and then when I came back and I graduated, it was kind of like, okay, it's time for the real world. What are you going to do? So I started off working at an agency here in town. And then from there, I kind of moved to another one. And so I did agency life for a few years. Um, and then I kind of took a break because, you know, just being completely transparent, I had some things happen personally in my life and I took a little bit of time off of working more in the field. Um, and I worked in more of like sales roles and then I got back into it when I moved to New York in 2018 and I was working on the account management team for a international, um, digital e-learning company that focused on marketing and advertising. So, from there, I was in account management, and I just started to kind of move in that, um, and then I moved towards creative project management with my next role, and now where I'm at now, I am um, a global community manager, and that focuses solely on helping the brand and team at the Neuroleadership Institute, we're a global organization that helps create diversity, equity, inclusion in different organizations and how to make your workplaces more human. So that's where I am now, and I'm kind of in charge of the efforts for our marketing team on the global community side of the way we do social, the way we build our brand out, the way we work with events. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of my professional journey, if you will. Um, but where you talk about the imposter syndrome coming up, I think that in a lot of those spaces, I couldn't believe like, oh, you're in rooms with people that are running major brands, you know, you are doing presentations to people and selling to people or managing accounts for different organizations. Um, you know, just in the past, I've worked with some people, TJX, Nike, different things. And so it, it really was a lot for me to take on. Um, but I was so grateful for that experience. And I think now that led to what I do more on the side which is I run my own creative production studio. And it's a hybrid studio where we are digitally focused, but we're also working with people in person. 
Um, and I plan to expand that over, you know, the span of the country and eventually the globe someday to be able to have a global community of creators and people who work together because I enjoy the creative direction process. And so, yeah, that's, it's kind of my journey, I guess, if you will. (laughs) So what would you say is your favorite thing about your current role? Oh, a favorite thing about my current role. I think right now it's that, um, we are in a space where we are championing diversity and the inclusion and the aspect of creating workspaces that are more human, right? Because when you think about it, work is majority of our lives. Like if you're working a full-time job, if you're working a part-time job, work is usually controlling our lives because it's our livelihood and the way we support ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it's really valuable to me to be on a team of people where we have the opportunity to shape messaging and make people really see the value in creating those positive workspaces and to have the ability to emphasize and just create programs and events and different things that can educate people on why that's important and in different facets so I think that's my favorite thing right now is just the fact that like my work daily I can make an impact on people and even though I might not see the direct impact I know that at least the work that I'm contributing to campaigns or the efforts that I'm doing on social and things like that actually matter okay that sounds (laughs) lovely like I definitely love what you bring to the table as far as like creativity I feel like just going through your website (laughs) is really inspiring and I can feel like the creativity flow it's not like I don't feel like there's a lot of restriction as far as like oh we have to use these specific color schemes and the specific font and I feel like it's very free-flowing and I really enjoy that thank you (laughs) it took some time to put together (laughs) (laughs) it looks like it took a lot of time for sure um, so my first question, which I'm, I already know the answer to, but we, we asked just because have you ever experienced imposter syndrome? And if so, when did this start? <laughs> when did it start? Okay. To answer your question. Yes, I absolutely have. Um, when did it start? I truly think that it started the semester after I graduated because when you're in school, right, you're in this community of people who know you, understand you. You're in a community, especially like you know this from the J school, that's very close knit. You know your professors, you know the people that are there. And so I had this flowing confidence of like, yeah, I'm doing this. I know I can do this. And I've got all these people supporting me that I can do this. And then once I graduated and I started my first job where you are now in a workspace with people who've been in their profession for a long time, it starts to become this imposter syndrome of like, do I belong here? And like, am I good enough to be here? You know, because you get the reinforcement again, when you're in safe spaces or familiar spaces with people that know your work and they've grown and they've seen how you've evolved, you feel that. But for me, I struggled probably right after school because it was like whoa now I'm in the real world (laughs) now it's time to get serious about this and now I need to really evaluate was I good because I had the skill set to do it or was I just good in my mind because people were like yeah Shelbs we know you you know and so I think that's when it really started 
it's so funny that you say that for you and the whole like imposter syndrome like kicked in for you um I guess like after you graduated yeah because for me I feel like it started once I moved to Vegas really yeah like growing up in a small town like I feel like there wasn't there weren't a lot of people so Mm -hmm. I guess like there was one year that I was picked for student of the year to this day I still don't know why yes. because <laughs> because you deserved <laughs> it you earned it <laughs> because it was like a shock to all of us um and then there were like I got inducted to some like key society or I think it was like the rotary society yeah. or something um there was like all these different things that would just come up periodically and then once I got to Vegas it was kind of like these Students that you're going to school, high school with, have been taking honors courses since middle school. They're in AP classes, IB classes. Like, that was a huge thing. IB was a huge thing in high yeah, school. Yeah. And it felt intimidating because I felt like I wasn't smart enough. Mm, yeah. Especially because um, my first school, the counselor, like, I don't think she really had faith in me because I told her I wanted to take AP, like, um, honors classes. Yeah. And she was like, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like that might be a little bit too difficult. And uh, honestly, the really wow. disheartening part was she was a black woman. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. It's really sad. And then I moved to a different school, um, which just had better education altogether. And I was like, I want to take honors classes. Like, for my yeah, final two years, I want to take absolutely. honors classes. And originally, I wanted um, the advanced honors degree, mm-hmm. but math stopped me with that one I was like I can't do this I'm not I'm understanding the same boat Matt me and math <laughs> I'm like your girl can write a 1500 word essay no problem but math oh <laughs> it was a struggle because I was in the class and I was like I'm not understanding I would literally come to class early yeah I would come to I would stay after for like study sessions I just did not understand it was just like mumbo jumbo in my brain <laughs> I was like you know what I can't do this like I'm not doing well in this class like I had like I think a D Mm -hmm. and I think I was in there for like the entire first semester yeah um and I was like you know what no (laughs) we're not doing this (laughs) my counselor was trying to convince me she was like no you need to try harder blah blah blah. and I literally spoke to the teacher and she also agreed that like you know maybe I should go to like a non-honors math course so that's what stopped me from getting that um advanced honors degree in high school but I think that's definitely where it started for me because Mm -hmm. Being in those spaces, like, it was also kind of a thing of privilege. I noticed that a lot of people who had been taking those honors and IP, I mean, AP and IB classes, like, those things cost money. Right. And it's like, if they didn't understand it, normally their parents had the money to get them a tutor, Mm -hmm. and that wasn't an option for me. So it was like, if I didn't get it, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it, yes. Yeah, because my mom didn't have money for a tutor. Um, There were other things to pay for and think about. And my mom, her strong suit is also not math. And plus, the way that they teach it is like, it's constantly changing. Exactly. The way that they taught math when my mom was my age is so different. different. It's different, yeah, Yeah, for sure. That was definitely when I started to feel the imposter syndrome. So it's so interesting to hear you say that it started like right after college. But I also feel like that makes sense because, Mm -hmm. like you said, you're in these safe spaces. And once you kind of get out of that space, you're it's like you're in there, the real world, (laughs) the real world. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, With all different kinds of personalities and things. Absolutely. How when did you first learn about imposter syndrome? Was it something that you when you were experiencing it? Did you know what it was called? Did you have a name for it or was it kind of like 
you had this experience and then after the fact you kind of recognize the name oh that's a good question I feel like I didn't really know like a technical term of it while I was in the beginning of while I was experiencing it but I followed a platform called create and cultivate and they are an incredible space that helps women in the workplace, women entrepreneurs, and a lot of the things that they talk about are just different aspects of life and how you develop and things of that nature. And so probably around the middle of my first real job outside of school is when I was really heavily reading their blogs and following them a lot. And then that's where they did an article on it and talked about it. And I feel like that was kind of the peak of when it started to become a thing like imposter syndrome. What is that? And unpacking it. Obviously, I'm sure imposter syndrome has existed long before with like psychological research and things. But um, that was when I really started to see it in a tangible space, but also seeing stories of women who I looked up to and admired in different professional industry spaces talking about how they had it. And so that's kind of when I first really realized it. And once you found that out, what was it like finally having a name for what you were experiencing and what you were going through? Um, I think it was really great because it gave, it gave a sense of power. I think that when you can name something and when you can really call something as it is, whether you're struggling with whatever it is, um, it allowed me to be able to identify it and identify when it was creeping up on me and when I was feeling it really strong. And so after I kind of had the term and I realized, okay, I'm not the only person that goes through this, like professional women who I literally admire and look up to go through this, then it started to become more of an identifying factor for me where I could think, okay, I can identify that right now I'm feeling this way in this meeting because I feel like I shouldn't be here, but I do deserve to be here because I've earned being here, you know? And so um, once I knew the term and I could really identify it, it started to give me power over how I could control it when it did come on. Um, and obviously you still like struggle and kind of work through those things, but I think just having the ability to call it out and speak to it gave me the power to start to realize like it doesn't have to control you or define you. Right. So once you had a name for it and once you kind of were able to identify it, what did that do for you? Did that change how you carried yourself in the workplace? Did it change <laughs> how you kind of thought about yourself when you were in these different spaces? You know, it did. But I would say it didn't for a very long time. Um, I was aware of it and I knew that it was there. And it just took it took truly years to be able to understand how to navigate it and how to not let it completely shut me down and cause me to freak out. And I think that, you know, for as far as you get with a certain thing in a certain season, when you're in a new season, it's time to just continue to level up. And what is the next way that you're going to approach this? And so for me, I definitely just thought, okay, I know that I want to get through this. How am I getting through it? And so it took a long time. It, it, it did take years, you know, and obviously you ebb and flow over that time. You know, you have moments where you're like, yes, I just did that. I did that meeting, you know, and then there are also other times where you're kind of like, wow, I completely bombed that because I was so in my head feeling like I shouldn't be there. And I shrunk and I hid my light because I felt like an imposter. So that 
just the dichotomy of going to those two kind of extremes, it took time. And I feel like even now I, so that was 2015 when I first really kind of started understanding about it from the create and cultivate side of things. Here we are in 2022, seven years later. And I feel like I'm finally just really getting a grasp of being confident in who I am and showing up in spaces and being like, yeah, I belong here. But there are still some days where I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm not prepared for this meeting, but pull it together and you're here because you're meant to be here. So it's, it's kind of an ongoing journey, but I do feel like over the years it got easier. Okay. Honestly, it's so interesting to hear you say that because I feel like your confidence just exudes. Oh, like, thank you. It's all over the place. And like, I think that that's powerful. That's a really oh, powerful thing. And it's really nice because you can tell that you're confident in who you are. Thank you. And I definitely, what you described, like it taking years to change, that's that's where I am right now because, mm-hmm. you know, I felt the imposter syndrome in like, high school but now here we are in like the real world right and I feel like it gets really like even more gritty than you know it was in high school because in high school it's like you know you still you didn't have as many responsibilities exactly you had people (laughs) who were more understanding of you because it's like oh you're in high school but now that I'm in the real world I feel like um even before I had you know gotten my current job I was applying to other agencies and things and I was reading the job descriptions and I was like I don't know how to do half of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I felt like did, I felt like, you know, like, I don't know, like I robbed myself of like college experience. Like, did I not do enough? Should I have done mm. more internships? And I still have that thought process because even in my current role, there are things that I'm just like, I don't know how to do this. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do or where to go from here. And it can just be really hard because you have other people who are so comfortable in their roles and in this Absolutely. like atmosphere that they're coming up with creative and innovative ideas to mm-hmm. not only because they know what they're doing, but because they want to take it a step further. Yeah. And so being in that space and trying to figure out how to navigate it, but also not let what I don't know define me as a person and right. kind of internalize those things like oh because you don't know this then that means that you're not smart enough to be here or that you don't deserve to be in this role or that I shouldn't apply or take certain chances or do different things because oh they're not going to want me because I don't know x y and z I'm trying not to do that but it's definitely hard yeah it's definitely hard being in you know like you said in spaces with people who have been in the industry for years or who have all this experience have all of this you know class and elegance and sorry money and things like that it's yeah. really hard to not be intimidated totally and I find myself even sitting in meetings and um you know not wanting to express my ideas because mm-hmm. I'm scared they're gonna shoot it down because yeah. they're like oh, she's you know she just graduated she doesn't know anything yeah or even when I am in meetings and I do express like you know my thoughts or ideas or concerns or things like that and I'm shot down it's like really hard to kind of stand firm in what I believe because I don't want to come off as combative or I'm like well you know I'm just starting out like I don't really think I should be that combative yeah yeah I think to that point you know it's very interesting because I feel like there is there's the concept of like fake it till you make it you know and that's a line that people just throw out and I used to be like this is ridiculous stop saying that you know and then though 
there were scenarios and situations where it was like, I have two options. I can walk into this room and show all of these people that I feel that I don't know what I'm talking about, or I can go in and just completely act like I know what I'm talking about. And what's crazy is that the energy that you give off to someone, I think I learned that in my sales portion of my creative career was the energy that you give off to someone is all that matters in that moment. And if you are going into it where you do feel like more reserved and you're kind of like, okay, well, I kind of have this idea and I don't really, and you're timid about it. It creates the space already for people to kind of open into questioning. But even if you go into something and you're like, this is my idea. This is why I think this would be it. And you, it's, it's about the energy that you bring behind it. I mean, even from the way that you are presenting. And that was something that I learned gratefully from Bob Felton in the Reynolds School of Journalism. Um, presentation matters and the way you convey your ideas. And, you know, for a while I struggled because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm super nervous. I don't want to talk about this. My voice is trembling. Like, I don't want to say these things. And then over time, it was like, no, I'm actually going to physically think about the way I'm presenting this. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to put my shoulders back. I'm going to speak clearly and slowly, and you're going to listen to what I have to say. And as soon as I started to kind of shift that dynamic, it became more of a people started to respect and be able to listen more. And unfortunately, I think the thing is that it shouldn't take all that, right? Like you, at the end of the day, people should just be willing to listen to your ideas and to hear what you have to say, because everyone should be able to say something. But I think that when you're not in spaces where that's not conducive or like that's not happening, it's so important to remember like the energy that you carry behind your ideas and the dignity that you carry behind your ideas from the biggest things to the very smallest things can really impact the way someone will listen to you and once I started to realize like oh you're listening to me now that's where the rapport builds and that's where you can start to feel like you're not as shut out about ideas anymore so that's that's kind of something that I learned over my time too because I completely relate with everything you were saying yeah. I might have to try that. Actually, no, I definitely need to try that. <laughs> I've, I've been looking for suggestions. Yes. Um, so what factors do you believe play a role into experiencing that imposter syndrome for you? And I guess yeah. my kind of follow-up question, since you've kind of already answered this question a little bit, do mm-hmm. you still experience it sometimes? Oh, yes. <laughs> I do. Um, I think what factors go into imposter syndrome – are one overthinking uh I am the queen of overthinking and I analyze stuff until the cows come home and it's like oh my gosh I said that one thing and that person made that eye face and then all of a sudden I don't know you know and it's like going so far into it what starts to happen is the more you overthink the more you start to think too much about like whether or not you're worthy whether or not you should be in a space whether or not you deserved an opportunity that you got and so overthinking is a a major factor um another thing that I feel like is a major factor is uh it's it's fear it's just fear uh I think that sometimes for me imposter syndrome wasn't the fear of the fact that I didn't know what I was doing because I was like I very much 
belong in this space. I know what I'm doing. I'm very confident about the skill sets that I have about this. It was the fear of putting myself out there and, and being vulnerable to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how people are going to respond to this. And for me as a recovering people pleaser, <laughs> I like to say, like um, I'm recovering cause I'm working on it. Um, I struggled with that because it's the fear of, yeah, it's a fear of acceptance. It's the fear of you're going to reject me putting myself out there wholly and my ideas and what I really believe and think of. And so I think that's a big factor. And then I think the last factor of imposter syndrome is, is just doubt. And sometimes it's, it's the skepticism of this isn't going to work out. And particularly in situations where you have been consistently shut down or, You've been discouraged from sharing your ideas and things like that. After that happens time and time again, you start to doubt. Do I even have the skill set to do this? Like, am I, why am I here? You know? And so I think all of that blended together. You're doubting yourself. You're fearful of what people are going to do, how they're going to accept you. And then you're overthinking every little detail. It just starts to become a recipe. And so I personally do still feel (laughs) imposter syndrome, um, I don't think to the extent that I do, but it does come in waves. And again, you know, it depends on what it is. But also, like I said earlier, because I can point it out and I can recognize like, oh, you're getting a little skeptical here. This might be imposter syndrome coming up or, oh, you're starting to really overthink this situation. You're meant to be here for a reason. This is working out like you wouldn't be in this space if you weren't supposed to be. And I, and I'm personally just like on my own accord, a big believer in like, everything is happening for a reason. Everything is divine and it's lining up exactly the way that it should be. And so I just also had to start really leaning into that aspect of like, I'm going to have faith in myself and like, believe that I am supposed to be here because it's supposed to be my moment in this space. And I don't know why that is, but I'm here. And so rather than shying away from it, I try to just step into it and lean into it more. I like that. I like that. I love the honesty (laughs) about you still experiencing it because Mm -hmm. I feel like um, in the episode that's going to come out before this one in my um, five things that I didn't know about healing. Yeah. I talk about healing being a journey and I feel Mm -hmm. like once you have these experiences, a lot of experiences that you have, they don't just go away. Right. You don't just magically solve them. It's like they may not come every single day. They may not come every month, but they may come in certain spaces when you start to feel similar feelings that you felt maybe years ago and you haven't felt it in a while, but next thing you know, you're feeling the same thing you felt 10 years ago. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And again, it's, it's an evolving process, right? You, you never fully heal. You never fully get over something. I think that you can get to a space where it doesn't control you as much, But I do feel like there's an aspect of you that's always going to continue to grow and heal in ways. And, you know, even for some of the situations that I've experienced in my career that were related to imposter syndrome that took a long time for me to get over, I'm over them now and I use them as that fuel when I do need to remind myself moving forward. But I feel like I still heal in different ways based off of that situation. And I'll think back to something that happens now and I'm like, oh man, but that's tied to that. And that's what that was, you know? So it's kind of like, I just look at healing as more of this cyclical thing where you are 
you're moving and you're growing through it and particularly with imposter syndrome, but it is going to come back, but it's almost like every time that it comes back, you just get stronger and stronger in how you respond to it. Oh, I love that. Every time it yeah. comes back, you get stronger. <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Yes. <laughs> um, so I know you mentioned that you've kind of like used this as fuel and you still experience it. So how did you kind of try to overcome this feeling? Like how did you do it? Um, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of it was mainly three things. Um, one was talking about it because – I think a lot of times we carry a lot of stuff that we struggle with out of shame and we don't want to express it. And particularly with imposter syndrome, right? You're in a career setting and it's scary to admit to your boss, like, I don't feel like I should be here. (laughs) You know, like that's the last thing you want to do. Um, But when I did express that energy and I did talk to people and confide into my leaders that were like maybe my managers or direct people that I worked with it allowed me to hear their stories and also realize like wow I'm not so much alone um I think another thing that helped me get through was also really educating myself on how to make the career that worked well for me because I think part of imposter syndrome also sometimes comes to when you are trying to force yourself to fit into this box that is just not you you know and so taking the time to have the trial and error of doing my own stuff outside of work or putting myself in projects and things that I'm like I don't really know that much about this but I want to learn it empowered me to realize like oh, but this is the avenue that I actually kind of want to move in for my career. So I don't necessarily feel like I need to do that anymore. And then it became the imposter syndrome started to downside as well because then it was like you're doing stuff that you feel very aligned to. Like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And then I think the last thing was really just (laughs) – sounds crazy, but like – Sometimes having to hype yourself up, like there were so many days, I can't tell you that I, when I first moved to New York, where I cried on the way home on the subway, and I just was like, I don't feel like I belong here, I don't feel like there are people who are way better than me, you know, and it, New York, I'd say was a period at the beginning where it really hit me, like, you know, you go from feeling like, I've got this, and I'm pretty confident to being in space where it's like, yeah, there are 30 other people who are just like you, if not better, figure it out. You know, it's kind of (laughs) like Tim Gunn on Project Runway. Designers make it work. And so you're just like trying to make it work. And I think that through that, though, I started to realize like I can sit in this space and be sad and I can tell myself that I'm not good enough and I can tell myself and feed myself these things or I can just slowly start to feed myself like, you know what? You did good today. You know what? You nailed that meeting. You know what? The client is happy. And and as I started to celebrate those little wins of myself and like really start to hype myself up, that's when I started to believe it more that like, yeah, no, I've I've got this. I belong here. And it is. It's a mental game. It's a lot of just trying to navigate honestly how you think about yourself. Because a lot of times that's the thing too, when you tie it back to the overthinking, 
imposter syndrome is really just you projecting a lot of things onto yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily other people saying, wow, you suck at your job. You know, it's, it's a lot of times you and your mind being like, I am not good at this and I'm not this and I'm not that and I can't do this. And so when I really started to flip the narrative of like, I'm going to put on my Beyonce playlist and I'm going to hide myself up as I'm riding into the city. (laughs) That's what's going to help, you know? And so it's the way you talk to yourself too. And once I started to speak more kindly to myself, that's when I realized like, okay, this isn't as bad and you, you can do this. Okay. (laughs) That's helpful. Yeah. Just to kind of change your, I guess, changing your mindset helped or even just, doing things that you know would put you in a good mood or put you in go mode for absolutely the day of work yep absolutely okay. <laughs> um so what are a few tips that you would give to women of color who are currently experiencing imposter syndrome yeah I oh man I and I love that aspect of women of color because it is very different and I will say from my experience working particularly in corporate America it is an extra layer to not only be a young professional, but be a young black woman professional Mm -hmm. in the workspace. And I think the things that I could give as advice, um, one would be to find, find mentors, right? Find people that you can trust because it can be a lonely space. And I don't think that people talk about that. I don't think a lot of times it's downplayed like, oh yeah, you're just a part of the workspace, but it's like there are nuances for every different type of group. And particularly for black women, it can be very exhausting trying to create a career where you gain respect, but also are not compromising yourself while also not dealing with unfair microaggressions and all of these things. And so I would say step one is like find mentors who you can really trust in and lean in. And even if they're not in your actual workspace, they don't work on your team. Like just having professional mentors outside of work that you can ask questions about, whether it comes to like how you navigate workplace relations, how you negotiate your salary, like all of these different things. That's so important. Um, I think the second thing is to, continue to show up as yourself and that is something that I struggled with honestly in the beginning years of my career because you are trying to you're trying to survive in this environment that is telling you like well you're not really valued and you you only got this you know I've I've experienced being told I'm a diversity hire (laughs) And like things of that nature or hearing, you know, back conversations that I wasn't a part of and hearing that leadership was saying. And so I think that in that sense, showing up who you are is one of the most powerful things you can do because it allows people to see, no, you cannot push me to be something that I'm not. And that's where you also start to eliminate imposter syndrome because you're like, I'm not being an imposter because I'm being me and that's something that is really important to hold on to Um, and then I think another tip I would say is to really take the onus on defining what your career trajectory looks like because I think sometimes imposter syndrome always comes from outside projections right of like 
whether it's your family or your friends or your partner or just people in your life that are like, oh, you should do that because that's what you should just do. And it's like, well, that's not what I want to do. So (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Um, But I think that if you take the onus on really taking time to be intentional and thinking, where do I want to be in five to 10 years? What does that look like for me? And what can I do now within the role that I'm in to actually start to cultivate examples and real world things, you know, and that's what's so important to also start to eliminate the imposter syndrome, because the more that you do stuff that aligns with what you're actually projecting for yourself, you start to feel like, man, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I would say those are kind of the main three things. And, you know, again, my advice, particularly as a black woman is like, a lot of times things are unfair they're just the odds are stacked against us in a lot of ways within the workplace but I also feel like we have the opportunity to show our light and the beauty and essence of who we are and who we are as black women and the strength that we have and the depth and the emotional capacity that we have and if you can show that in different ways maybe it's not always received by your leadership team or your clients or whatever but like if you can carry yourself with that integrity to know that like this is this is how I'm showing up here and I am going to provide excellence for you that does over time show and I just didn't realize that in the beginning I thought that like maybe you know I was like no one appreciates this and stuff like that but it's amazing over the years how I've heard feedback after I've left places or feedback from people years later and they're like we always loved you and you always showed up and did this and did that. And I think that's really important too. So I would say those are like my three main things. (laughs) Oh oh my gosh, Dahlia. Yeah. Um, I'm crying y'all. First time crying on the podcast. I'm sorry. (laughs) I really thought it would have been um, embracing my blackness one, but apparently it was the imposter syndrome one. Um, I just want to say that personally, I really appreciate the tips that you provided because I'm currently in that place. Absolutely. And it's really hard when you are the only black woman in your work environment. Yes. Because it can be so invalidating in so many different ways. It can. It Um, absolutely can. You know, you deal with racism, you deal with misogyny, you deal with, you know, so many different things. And hearing that you know, to still show up as yourself and that things are unfair and yeah. to kind of know that going into it and yeah. not have this like fairy tale fantasy expectation that things are going to be perfect and they're going to be, you know, cognizant of what you should and should not do. Yep. Um, it just sets you up, I feel like, better for success. So Absolutely. I really appreciate oh, those you're tips. You're so welcome. Absolutely. And you know, I'm your mentor, so I'm always here for you. <laughs> Thank you. We will have a separate combo. We'll have a separate this. combo. <laughs> after this um, episode. Um, so I just wanted to ask, do you have any final thoughts or words of encouragement that you would like to provide to the listeners of Black and Blooming? Oh, man. Hello, listeners. Um, I know you've been listening now for time. Um, I think the encouragement that I have, you know, in relation to imposter syndrome is you are never going to know until you do it. And so what I also really have countered with imposter syndrome is you can practice, you can 
put in hours of work behind the scenes. You can do all this stuff. But until you actually start to activate and implement what you're working on, it's null and void. And that was really hard for me because I'm a planner, right? So I have always like, I'm going to plan this out to be perfect. And I'm going to do this and this and that. And I could write a five page plan, but it's like, girl, activate it. What are you doing? You know? (laughs) And so I think my main piece of advice to really combat imposter syndrome is to be afraid and do it anyway. And that being able to still step into something and say, you know what, this is absolutely terrifying for me. And I don't think that I'm ready for this, but I'm doing it anyways. That is always a win for you. You're never going to lose. You're never going to lose because at the end of the day, you could say, oh yeah, I'm going to do all these things and all of that. But if you've never done them, then you're never going to know. And like my advice to you is just to step out there and be afraid and do it anyway, because you can, you can tell yourself all of these things, but until you actually put them into practice, no one's ever going to see them. No one's ever going to know. And some of the greatest opportunities that I have had some, I got my latest job that I have right now because of the fact that I used to just post consistently on my blog and put out my content on social media and share and talk about my experiences and my stories of growing up and what that was like. And now the SVP of my organization who is over marketing was like, he originally reached out to me and was like, I think you would be really great for this role based on the things that I've seen. Wasn't even connected to my resume, you -hmm. know? And so, you know, imposter syndrome not only goes for career, but it fits into every aspect of life. Like, be afraid and do it anyway. Go for the job. Go for the new look. Go for the guy. Go for the girl. Go for whatever you want. Like, there is so many things that we hold ourselves back from because we internally convince ourselves that we're not worthy of it and that we are an imposter, but we're not. So I just say, be afraid and do it anyway. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess for my listeners of Black and Booming, my final words of encouragement would be <sighs> let your light shine. Yeah. It can be really scary. And I'm I'm a hypocrite, y'all. I'm working on it. But <laughs> um, just let your light shine. It can be really hard when you've been told that you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. But I, like I've expressed this before, I'm very – I'm I very much believe in God and mm-hmm. I personally believe that God did not put these desires and these passions inside of me for me to just keep them inside. Yeah. Like yeah. I definitely think that they can serve a greater purpose if I actually share them with the rest of the world and not yeah. just keep them internal. So let your light shine and I second what Shelby said, <laughs> get a mentor. You yeah. need to talk about <laughs> how you feel. And yeah. I think having mentors and actually reaching out to them the last month have been really beneficial for me. Yeah. Um, it did, it doesn't instantly fix everything. It's not an instantaneous fix, but it definitely helps to have people to talk to and ask for advice and kind of vent to about things. Yep. Um, so definitely talk to someone. (laughs) Yes. Do it. <laughs> um, so I just want to say thank you so much. Oh, for you're taking the so time welcome. Out. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being on my show. I really appreciate it. I absolutely really love this conversation that we had, and yeah, I really I think it can help other people. Um, please follow the show on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's available on um, most podcast platforms. You can also follow Instagram on Black and Blooming Pod. 
And then, of course, if you would like to, I now have an email for the podcast. So <laughs> if you would like to send in comments or anything to the email, it's blackandbloomingpod at gmail.com, which will also be in the description. All of this stuff will be in the description, y'all. So if you forget, that's okay. <laughs> um, and be sure to leave ratings and reviews. And stay tuned for the next episode. I really yes. hope you enjoyed it. Thank Great. you so much. <laughs> Bye. See you next time. Bye.